Hello and welcome to the Stock Podcast. I'm Nate Abercrombie, the host of the only investing podcast that gives everyone the chance to hear public company CEOs and CFOs describe their business and provide the investment case for their company. However, not all interviews feature public company management teams. Every once in a while, I get the chance to interview industry experts, and this is one of those interviews. In this episode, I'm really excited to have a very special guest, Norm Olson who was formerly the Biomass and Alternative Fuels Program Manager at the Iowa Energy Center and the president of the NH3 Fuel Association. I first met Norm several years back, but not in a professional capacity. Norm is the father-in-law of one of my really good friends and neighbor, John Holstein. Now, John is a great guy. He's one of the biggest supporters of this podcast, and he had suggested that I interview Norm last year And I'm really happy that he was pushing for this interview. I'd never heard of this thing called anhydrous ammonia, which also meant that I wasn't aware of the numerous benefits of anhydrous ammonia as an alternative fuel. Now, there are some really fascinating aspects of anhydrous ammonia. And for anyone out there who has an interest in renewable energy, energy efficiency, hydrogen, alternative fuels for automobiles, or for any form of transportation, really, this conversation is going to be really interesting for you. Norm is a super intelligent guy, and he was super generous with his time, so I can't say thanks enough to Norm. So without further ado, let's get to the interview with Norm Olson. My name is Norm Olson. I first got uh, started in the renewable energy industry back in the 70s during the first Arab oil embargo, where uh, basically the Mideast countries told the United States to stuff it. (laughs) we control your economy, we're going to shut the oil supply off because we don't like your politics. And at that point, I thought that's a pretty precarious situation to have the United States dependent on that supply and they can shut us off at any time they want. And I thought, we need alternatives here in the United States. And that's what kind of started my whole career in alternative energy. I was the program manager for alternative fuels and uh, biomass. Okay. And uh, basically the main job was to convert plant materials into the same chemicals that run the petrochemical industry. It's an extremely valuable proposition compared to fuels. In fact, you know, biomass food first, we said, chemicals second, and then fuels third is what we said in our group uh, for biomass use. Biomass is just plant materials. Could be corn stalks, could be an energy crop like sweet sorghum, uh, any of those things. But if you make food first, take care of our food needs first, then chemicals is the second most valuable thing you can make from plant materials. And, uh, um, of course, part of growing plant materials is anhydrous ammonia. So, yeah, that's that's my primary job is turning plant materials into chemicals and fuel. It's funny. I never really thought about turning, you know, plant material into chemicals, uh, especially, you know, given the fact that we use essentially natural gas liquids yeah. to, to create all these different chemicals that, that then turn into plastics and whatever yeah. else. But if you think about it way back in the day, before it was oil, it was actually, you know, plant materials. There you go. It's, it's <laughs> and, logical, and, and, isn't it? When you, yeah, when you yeah. look at it that it way. It is, yeah. And uh, guys like Henry Ford and George Washington Carver, who was an Iowa State grad, by the way, thought that everything you need for every life should come from the farm. Not just your food, but your chemicals, uh, fibers for uh, clothing materials, uh, just everything you need for everyday life to come from the farm. And that's kind of been the vision I inherited from those guys. But it's all closely tied to anhydrous ammonia if you want efficient and uh, cost-effective production. would like to hear more about your background because you you got interested in it because of these reasons. But where are you from? 
and I guess more importantly, how did anhydrous ammonia become sort of your baby? You know, it's yeah. something that you know more about than anybody else, at least in the United States. Oh, I doubt that, but no? I know quite a bit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know quite a bit about anhydrous ammonia as a fuel. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I was born and raised in Iowa. And uh, the reason I went to Iowa State University, because I could hitchhike there and uh, it was affordable. So uh, it was a good school. And I uh, started off in, uh, to be a math major, be a teacher, kind of following my dad's footsteps. But back in the 70s, at one time, there was not many jobs for teachers. And I thought, well, I better look at something else. And I looked at uh, mechanical engineering because they had some solar energy uh, associated with it at that time. And I thought, well, that sounds kind of interesting. I'll, I'll head down that turnpike. And like I said, part of my interest stems from the fact that uh, the first Arab oil embargo occurred back in about oh, 19, early 1970s. And it created gas lines in California and other places across the United States. We had a real shortage of petroleum. And it was kind of a scary situation because our economy really stops. If we don't have affordable energy, our economy is done because we use more energy per capita than any nation in the world. I think we use 28 barrels of oil per person per year. China uses about four, but it's increasing rapidly, and it may be higher than that at this point. But our economy runs on affordable energy, and when that supply gets shut down, our economy also shuts down. I said, well, we better be looking for alternatives somewhere along the line. And that was about when conventional U.S. oil production peaked in the 70s, and so OPEC had control of prices and supply to a large degree. And so that started me down the path. And, uh, you know, I went with energy efficiency, which is a great thing. I mean, that's the most cost-effective thing to do for energy is make everything as efficient as you can for starters. But also alternative energy. Um, you eventually, you're going to need that um, in some way, shape, or form and to various degrees. And people kept talking about hydrogen, but the hydrogen infrastructure costs are so high. They're just unaffordable. It's difficult to transport via pipeline cost-effectively. You can do it. But those pipelines cost a bundle. Uh, it's a very low energy density. Um, the BTUs per pound is high, but the BTUs per cubic foot is very low. So you need to compress it to 10,000 PSI, which a 10,000 PSI tank is like a bomb waiting to happen. If you want that on board your vehicle, <laughs> be my guess, but uh, bad things can happen. Or you can store it as a chilled liquid at minus 423 degrees Fahrenheit. And that's pretty expensive, too. Absolute zero is right around that ballpark. So that's cold. And that's expensive as well. Energy intensity of getting it down to that temperature and storing it at low pressure takes about 50% of the energy in the hydrogen. So it's just wow. not cost effective. It's not energy efficient. Hydrogen is just a, a problem. It's a great fuel, yeah. but the infrastructure costs are so high. So it was during one conversation in the 90s I had with a guy that was a fuel cell manufacturer. Fuel cells were actually kind of new at that point. I mean, the space missions made them a reality, but for the general public, fuel cells weren't real common. Hydrogen is the perfect fuel for yeah. fuel cell. That's It's perfect, and that's why these Toyota hybrid vehicles um, and fuel cell vehicles will run on hydrogen. But ammonia is the closest thing to hydrogen you have, but it's much more cost-effective and much more energy-efficient. So it's just the low-cost version of it's the best way to deliver hydrogen in the economy is through ammonia. Uh -huh. And that's the key. But anyway, this fuel cell guy said, I said, what's the easiest fuel to reform? Because sometimes you can run natural gas in fuel cells and methanol and things like that. 
And so I thought the answer was going to be, oh, you know, methanol is the easiest one for us to put in a fuel cell other than hydrogen. And he said, no, anhydrous ammonia is. I thought, what, what are you talking about? You know, it, 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 I know the chemical formula is NH3, nitrogen and hydrogen, but I'd never heard of it as a fuel before. And people had thought of it before, obviously. So that kind of started me down a path. I said, well, if you can use anhydrous ammonia, which I'm real familiar with, in the farm fields of Iowa, nitrogen is what grows our crops. Um, usually in the form of anhydrous ammonia, and it's all over us. We have 800 retail ammonia outlets in the state of Iowa alone. Wow. That's probably as many as we have gas stations in the state. <laughs> and, in fact, I have a – right in the middle of our town, there is an ammonia, um, anhydrous ammonia retail outlet sitting right in the middle of our town, right next to the soccer fields. And it's for – primarily for – Farm fertilizer. So once I checked into that, and there's <laughs> – not only is it more cost-effective – but there's more hydrogen in a gallon of anhydrous ammonia than there is in a gallon of liquid hydrogen. Now, people think, how can that possibly be? Yeah. Well, hydrogen uh, atoms do and, and molecules do not like to sit next to each other. They repel each other, and they will not condense at all costs. When you gather them around a nitrogen molecule, they pack in tightly. So huh. from a chemical standpoint, it's more energy-dense per gallon or per cubic foot, however you want to do it, per volume, than hydrogen. It's much lower cost, and it's more efficient to make ammonia than it is to compress hydrogen or to make hydrogen chilled at minus 423 degrees Fahrenheit. So it just beats it in every way, shape, and form you can do. So that's kind of how, you know, my interest in alternative energy came about and then how the ammonia idea started up. And then in 2004, we held our first conference. We had about 28 people. <laughs> I got a free conference room from the Iowa Farm Bureau in Des Moines, Iowa. So thanks to them. Um, and for about 25 bucks a pop and donuts, uh, we had our first conference and it just blossomed. And, and now there's international conferences. And it's really been a, one of the most fun projects I've dealt with in my life. Met a lot of interesting people. And uh, it's a long ways from becoming a reality because there's a lot of people that don't want it to happen, including hydrogen people would not like to see all the cost the billions of dollars they put into hydrogen vehicles and things like that, they don't want to see that necessarily happen in a different way. Yeah. And so it's got a long ways to go, but if you're interested in efficiency and economics and environmental performance and flexibility, ammonia is the answer for your future fuel. If natural gas and, and petroleum ever go up in price again, yeah, which I bet wrong on that several yeah. times. <laughs> A lot um, of people did. Yeah. Yeah. In 2008, we we're going to build natural gas import yeah. terminals in the United States. And now we're exporting through those same terminals that they built Yeah, in some cases. So we'll see. Eventually, my prediction of high fuel prices from petroleum and natural gas is going to come true. I may not live to see it, but it's going to happen someday and you're going to want an alternative. And it's going to, let's face it, it's going to take you 20 years to go to an alternative fuel. 20 years. Well, you know, it just takes a long time to build the infrastructure, the vehicles, the if you're going to do vehicles, which, um, again, as, as you asked me before, I don't think vehicles will be the first application of anhydrous ammonia as a fuel. It'll probably be in uh, the ships that transport anhydrous ammonia. And there's, it's the second most transported chemical in the world already. There's thousands of miles of pipelines in the United States alone that have been in place for decades. So it's a really cost-effective way to move hydrogen around. But, of course, they're moving nitrogen because it's a fertilizer. So. Yeah. So the two components are both valuable. But for fertilizer applications, they just throw the hydrogen away. Wow. So anhydrous ammonia, is it a, is it a liquid? Is it in, in sort of at room temperature? Is it in a gas state? What, what is it and how, um, 
you know, what's the most cost effective way of storing it somewhere? Do you have to chill it? Do you have to put it under high, high amounts of pressure? Just sort of the, the physics of it would be really interesting to hear. Yeah, the overview is it's made from nitrogen, which is 78% of the atmosphere we breathe is nitrogen. So if you're on Earth, you've got one of the key raw materials to make ammonia. Nitrogen, breathe it in, breathe it out. Pretty uh, benign substance. And hydrogen, which is the most abundant element in the universe. And it happens to be tied up in water pretty well, but also natural gas. CH4, carbon, and four hydrogens is the chemical formula for natural gas. And right now, most of the anhydrous ammonia is made from natural gas. So they basically take nitrogen from the air, hydrogen from the uh, natural gas, and combine it to make ammonia. China makes a lot of anhydrous ammonia as well, and they make it from coal. Hmm. So you can make ammonia from solar energy and water, wind energy and water, you know, any renewable energy you can make it from. You can make it from natural gas. You can make it from nuclear energy. Any primary energy source you can make with a source of hydrogen and make ammonia. So any country in the world could become energy independent um, with this, which is nice too. Yeah. Um, so after it's made primarily from natural gas, it's stored in two ways. It's stored in the bulk form as a chilled liquid, about minus 28 um, degrees Fahrenheit. And I told you hydrogen goes liquid at minus 423 degrees yeah. Fahrenheit. So. They put about 12 inches of insulation in these tanks, but they're steel tanks, you know, really reasonably cost. For lower or smaller volumes, they store it as a pressurized liquid. Okay. Uh, about 150 pounds per square inch compared to the hydrogen, 10,000 pounds per square inch. And it's still not liquid. And hydrogen ammonia is, is similar to propane. If you see the propane tanks around your propane grills, it's very similar to how you'd store anhydrous ammonia. Wow. So it's a cheap tank. Yeah. Um, either way you do it. Um, and then you can ship it. It goes in steel pipelines. Um, the ship, cheapest way to ship any liquid is pipeline. Yeah. And not by truck and not by train, not by ship. But but you can still transport it on, you know, in a pipeline that isn't pressurized. So like in its gas, gaseous state. You wouldn't want to. You they, would, okay. they, they transport it as a liquid. That's the most cost effective. Because 150 PSI is not a high pressure tank. Natural gas lines are several thousand pounds, for instance. Okay. So it's really low pressure for a pipeline. Okay. And you know, I mean, heck, your water pressure might be 60 PSI to 100 PSI in the, in the water main. So it's not a real high pressure system, no matter how you look at it. At atmospheric conditions, though, it is a gas. Okay. And it's lighter than air. So it dissipates rapidly if it leaks and goes up in the atmosphere. It's not a greenhouse gas. It's not a carcinogen. It will combine with uh, nitrous oxides in the air to form smog. Ammonium nitrate is what it is. But if you don't have vehicles putting out nitrous oxides or power plants putting out those, then you wouldn't have that problem. It would just come down with the rain, fertilize your lawn, and it'll be a good thing if it got released. In a, nature knows how to take care of us. Yeah. The amount of ammonia produced naturally is almost equal to the amount of man-made produced ammonia. There's natural cycles that produce ammonia. Wow. Including your cows, <laughs> manure. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of nitrogen. Chicken manure, that terrible smell. Ammonia doesn't smell good, folks. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know I'll be around it when it leaks. Um it's uh, and it can be dangerous that way. I mean, all fuels are dangerous. Ammonia has its own set of risks, and mm -hmm. that's a long story too, though. Um, how you comparable risk, but that's where ammonia comes from, uh, where it could come from, how it's stored, and it's all done now. There's nothing new about that. So, so you mentioned making 
ammonia, uh, anhydrous ammonia with renewable energy. And mm-hmm. you mentioned like uh, solar and water, for example, I, I guess, what is that process? Mm-hmm. Like, when you say those things, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah. interesting, but how does that work? <laughs> yeah. You know? How- yeah. And uh, a lot of people in your um, junior high, high school experiments will use electricity to split water and you'll see bubbles forming. Water is H2O. Mm-hmm. And when you split it with electricity, electrolysis is what it's called, splits into hydrogen and oxygen. So oxygen you can use for a whole bunch of things, including, of course, breathing. Um, but uh, the hydrogen splits off electricity. So it's electrolysis, well-known process, been done for decades and decades and decades. And the nitrogen is separated from the air in an air separation unit. Sometimes they do it with membranes. Sometimes they do it with temperature separation. You can actually condense out nitrogen to make it a liquid and oxygen to make them liquids if you get the temperature cold enough. Yeah. So there's a variety of ways you can get the nitrogen in a pure enough form to make the anhydrous ammonia. So those are the two main ways. And, of course, natural gas, the CH4, is not done. Uh, it's done in a chemical way. It's called steam reforming, and basically it splits off the carbon, and eventually it forms carbon dioxide, and then the hydrogen is the t- uh, two main products they get in that process. I see. So, wow. Okay, so. No new technology is needed to make it with renewable energy at all. Wow. Okay, so then h- how about the cost to do it? Um mm-hmm. You know, what goes into, what, what, what sort of equipment would you need if you, you know, wanted to create an anhydrous ammonia facility that produces, you know, just call it, I don't know, that, that's something, maybe there's an example that you've used in the past that maybe helps people understand, you know, just the mm-hmm. scale and what the cost would be and, yeah, just what the, 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 the different types of equipment that would be required. Yeah, the process normally used is called Haber-Bosch, and it was invented in Germany in the early teens, 1917, somewhere around that. It's credited as being one of the most important inventions in the history of humankind, one of the top three or four, because about 50% of the world's population is fed because we make anhydrous ammonia and make more crops and produce more effectively because we have anhydrous ammonia. So it's If you'd like to continue listening to this interview, you'll need to become a member. To become a member, just visit stockpodcast.com. Members have access to all full-length episodes, and depending on the membership that you purchase, you can even have access to the transcripts. So just go to the website, thestockpodcast.com, and click membership at the top. Also, if you really enjoyed the music, you should check out Danheim. That's D-A-N-H-E-I-M. Mike at Danheim gave me permission to use the music for the podcast, and so a huge thanks to Danheim. And with that, take care and good luck with your portfolio.